Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, be sure to sign the roster if you're planning to be in the class. Sign it for your attendance, but this, this uh, first Sunday of the quarter, if you are planning to be here for the quarter, be sure to sign and you'll be sort of registered for this classroom. I do have one big, big, big announcement. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but tomorrow is my mom and dad, Butch and Hilda Nutt's 60th wedding anniversary. So if you have a chance, congratulate them. And we are planning a big shindig in a couple weeks. My kids are coming in, my brother and his family. And I hadn't seen my daughter, uh, Charlene, since uh, Christmas of 2019. So that'll be exciting to see them and uh, help out with that. They'll be able to help us out with the party and uh, enjoy that time together. So looking forward to that. All right, so if you've been in class the last few weeks, you know we are considering... Um, things that people might say around baptism and whether baptism is something that is, is a necessary part of the plan of salvation, right? And we've been looking or considering objectives, ob objections to this idea that baptism is first for the remission of sins, which we read about in Acts 2, and that it is necessary unto salvation, which we can glean from Acts 2, right? In previous study, we examined um, things about uh, that were preached and by Peter, that were preached by Paul and the apostles, things they said about baptism. And then last week, we, we looked at the thief on the cross, which is probably the biggest objection you might hear from someone that says baptism is not necessary to salvation, you don't have to be baptized. And they'll quote, they'll, uh, quote the, you know, the thing that says, Jesus said, from this day forward, you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross that said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And of course, we know, we saw that he, you know, the, the thief was saved, obviously, but this was before the command was given to baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, right? This came later. So this was still under the old law, and we talked about that, how the old covenant, the, this, the thief was still under the old covenant, just like David, just like Noah, just like Moses. All these people were. So there was no command to be baptized. And we looked in Romans 6 to be baptized into Christ, into his death and be raised in newness, in newness of life, in his likeness, right, in his resurrection. So we looked at these things uh, as far as the thief on the cross goes. Well, we, we were able to see that that, that objection is really not relevant. It's not relative, relevant to the idea of baptism uh, being commanded into Christ, right, that came later. So today we're going to look at another objection, and you've probably heard this one as I have, uh, you might hear someone say, well, Cornelius and his household received the Spirit, right? They received the Spirit before they were baptized. Therefore, they were saved. They were saved before they were baptized. And today we're going to look at that a little bit. We're going to consider that. Were they truly saved because they received the Spirit before they were baptized, or were they not? Turn in your Bibles over to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read, this is a fairly long passage, we're going to read through it. So uh, I want you to, and we'll, we'll be in Acts pretty much for the whole class today, so that's good. But turn over to chapter 10, and let's, let's begin reading the account of Cornelius and his household and, and how Peter was commanded to go to them. Beginning in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. 
And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before, as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now notice this verse. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Of course, remember... The Jews, the Israelites, the Jews had many laws around what they ate, what was clean and what was unclean. And generally speaking, we know today a lot of that was around the fact that certain things were not good to be eaten. 17. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the man who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Interesting. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I myself am also a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with, keep company with or to go to one of another nation? Remember that. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. 
Reading on. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You see, the gospel is for everyone. Hmm, interesting. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now let's stop there for a second and go over to chapter 11. And we're going to read here, this is the occasion later, where Peter goes into Jerusalem, the council among the brethren there in Jerusalem, and he's going to talk about the fact that he saw the vision. Let's read this, starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard, interesting how they heard these things, right? This is interesting to them, right? They're hearing things. Heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Imagine that. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? I mean, can, can you see them saying that? But Peter explained it to them, in order from the beginning, remember that verse, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At the very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Remember that verse. You see, the Spirit came upon Cornelius and his family before any baptism, right? When Peter was there with his brethren. But was this spirit falling on Cornelius and the household evidence that they were saved? That they were saved before baptism, making it uh, not essential to salvation? Did that happen? Is this a proper conclusion that we can reach from these verses? Does the evidence in Acts support such a notion? Did Peter and others conclude that the Spirit falling on Cornelius meant 
they were saved. Did Peter believe that? These are important questions we want to answer today. Exactly when, first of all, did the Spirit fall on Cornelius and his household? And then what was the purpose for the Spirit falling on them? Was it to save them, or could it have been something else? Well, before we answer those questions, let's get into the sequence of events here. Let's kind of Let's kind of look at this a little more closely, the actual sequence. So, first we have an angel appearing to Cornelius, right? Cornelius the centurion, a very religious man who apparently had not heard the gospel. He's a Gentile, all right? Apparently, Peter and the brethren still think the gospel is only for the Jews, even though it's interesting, Peter said in Acts 2, God is going to pour out his spirit on all men. It's interesting how... Even that, he still didn't fully grasp it, right? Angel appears to him with an announcement that his prayers and alms have been noticed by God. We had a study on prayer a couple of years ago, and one of the things we looked at was, are all prayers heard? I don't know if you were in here then, maybe you can remember some of that, and we talked about the fact that by Scripture we can see that, no, prayers by someone who's not a child of God are not heard, are not going to be uh, heard by God in the way that you might wish it would. Sure, God can act on anything, but it's pretty much going to be a righteous person, a person who is a child of God, or someone who is seeking, who is seeking God, that's trying to find out what they need to do to be saved or what they need to do to be a child of God. So here we have Cornelius giving us a perfect example of that. And then... The angel says, send for Peter. And please note what the angel said as I referenced. He will tell you what you must do. And then as we read over there in, in chapter 11, verse 14, Peter later recounts this, this uh, version that, that the angel came to talk to Cornelius. He says, the angel says, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So, interesting note. When would Cornelius be saved? Doesn't say anything about the Spirit. He says, when they heard words by which they would be saved. Interesting, interesting, interesting note there. So, Cornelius then sends two servants and a devout soldier to Peter. And then in the meantime, Peter has a vision. While the three men are traveling toward Peter, he has a vision and it involves a sheet descending from heaven containing all sorts of creatures. I remember as a kid in Sunday school class studying about the sheet. You remember the, I don't know, maybe y'all taught that. Remember the picture of the sheet coming down and all these animals are in it. You know, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, and it showed Peter sitting on the top of his house while the sheet's coming down. You remember that? Some of you may remember that. And a voice tells Peter to kill and eat. Peter objects, for he's never eaten anything common or unclean. As I said, there were laws around what you ate. Some things were not clean to eat. You could have a whole study on that, right? But God says, no, what I say is good to eat. It's good to eat. Interesting how Peter said he had never eaten of it. You know, you can, you can live a life doing things the right way and, you know, still be wrong, right? Anyways, voice says, what God has cleansed you shall not call common. And then three times this vision is repeated, right? And then what, is the, what happens next? The Spirit tells Peter that men for Cornelius are going to arrive 
and he's to go with them, right? The Spirit tells Peter to go, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. He's saying, this voice is saying, I've sent these people to you. You are not to doubt. You are not to ask. Well, I guess he could ask why, because he did. But you are not to doubt the reason for me telling you to go. He has a purpose for this. And the purpose might not be necessarily for Cornelius so much. Sure, Cornelius says, I still need to be saved. But there's something going on between God and Peter here, isn't there? So Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, and Cornelius has gathered his family and close friends. Of course, Peter deflects Cornelius trying to worship him, right? And you can imagine that, right? Cornelius has seen an angel. If you saw an angel and he told you somebody's coming to visit you, you might want to worship them, right? <laughs> I can imagine that being something you might want to do. Peter says, nope, I'm just a man. He explains his presence also as a violation of Jewish custom. They were not to go into the house of a Gentile. Remember when Jesus did that with Zacchaeus? He was the sinner. But Peter was apparently not taking the gospel to the Gentile, not associating with the Gentile, still living under that Jewish custom as the brethren in Jerusalem were doing as well, not taking the gospel to all the world. Then he has the vision, the vision that says, I should not call, he realizes he should not call any man common or unclean. Asked by Peter to explain why he was called, Cornelius recounts the appearance and the instructions of the angel. Cornelius and household were ready to hear all things commanded you by God. So as Peter begins to speak, the Spirit falls upon the listeners. Okay? At this point, we need to, look at a, we need to carefully look at the sequence of events. All right? Luke's record gives attention to the sermon. And we'll read this in a second. We hadn't read that part yet, but we'll read it. And then the Spirit coming upon the Gentiles. And Luke says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. So, we did not know exactly when the Spirit fell in this situation, right? Perhaps in the beginning, perhaps in the middle, perhaps toward the end of a sermon. But Peter's going to explain something that we will see even more. He's going to explain, and as we mentioned in verse 4, that they will need to hear words by which they will be saved. He says, as I began to speak, in verse 15, and let's look at those, let's look at that verse real quick. Chapter 11, verse 15. Let me go back to verse 14. So who would tell you words by which you and your household would be saved? And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. So here we have Peter kind of identifying when the Spirit fell, as he began to speak. Well, you have Luke's account, who's writing. He's kind of geared more toward the sermon. But isn't it interesting that we have a record of Peter recounting this? You think that's on purpose? You think we have a record of that on purpose? Would we need to hear the whole account of Cornelius again as Peter told their brethren? 
in Jerusalem? Or, or was there another purpose for it? Could there have been another reason why we're hearing about this? With the Spirit falling on the Gentiles, they began, and I haven't read this yet, speaking in tongues, which amazed Peter and the Jewish companions that were with him. Peter goes on and preaches a sermon. And let's, let's read that section. Go back to chapter 10. And let's begin in verse 44. <clears throat> For while Peter was still speaking those words, well, we just read about the sermon, then we want to read what happened next. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Interesting. Turn over to chapter 11 again, let's read on there. Verse 16. After they see the Spirit fall, then what's Peter say? He said, 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Hmm. So Peter tells Cornelius about the gospel. Tells him, preaches to the, him and his household about what God commanded them to do, the apostles, right? In other words, he gave them the whole counsel of God as they had been commanded to do. So Peter's perception began to change, didn't it? Peter's perception of who the gospel is for began to be altered. First with the vision of the sheet, continuing with the instruction from the messengers, right? And then, now they see the Spirit fall on the Gentiles, just as it had on them at the beginning. Interesting. So the Lord who was who, so as the Lord who anointed the Holy Spirit and power was killed, but raised from the dead, and seen by many witnesses, who had commanded the apostles to proclaim things ordained by God, has become judge of the living and the dead, and through whom remission of sin is offered to those who believe now, including the Gentiles. Well, what happens next? Let's turn over back over to chapter 10 there and read, beginning in verse 47. <clears throat> then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. Hmm. And in verse 18 in chapter 11, when they heard these things, they became silent. Talking about the brethren in, Jer in Jerusalem. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Okay. We have the Spirit fall on them. From Peter's account, it was at the beginning of a sermon. Had they heard the words by which they could be saved yet? I don't think so, right? 
Peter commands them to be baptized. How could anyone forbid water to those who had received the Spirit just as the apostles did? Wait, wait a minute, what's he talking about right there? You remember the day of Pentecost? When they received the Spirit, the apostles, and they began to speak in tongues? Could it be that he's referring back to that? As they had received it and began to speak in tongues? And that all that were in Jerusalem at that time could understand what they were saying? What Peter's sermon was about? Hmm. I think maybe so. So Cornelius and his household were commanded then to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Well, at what point were they saved then? And what was that purpose of the Spirit falling on them? Peter was, tell, Peter was told, or would tell him, what you must do, as the angel said. Peter would tell him words by which they shall be saved, yet the Spirit fell on Cornelius before he heard. So, Peter said the Spirit fell upon them as I began to speak. It wasn't until the end of his sermon afterward that Peter told them the words by which you should be saved. Now, we don't have the record of everything he said, but I would imagine it's very similar to what he said in Acts 2. You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Cornelius was saved after he heard the words by which he would be saved, not before. What was he told to do? To believe, repent, and be baptized. In verse 48, we see that. So until they heard these words and obeyed what he was told, were they saved? think not you see the purpose of the spirit falling on Cornelius was not to save them it was done so the Jews could understand that the gospel was for all not just the household of Israel they were amazed by it and even the brethren in Jerusalem who were amazed that they had gone into the house of a Gentile and spent time with them we're amazed to realize that too. Their perception was changed as well in a flash. You see, God sent Peter to Cornelius so that he could understand this. He could, he could understand the gospel was meant for all. It is amazing to think that they were still struggling with that, right? After all they've been through, after all they had suffered in preaching the gospel, but apparently they weren't. So, they realized then that God was no respecter of persons, that God was willing to grant the opportunity to repent and have life. Gentiles could be saved in the same way as the Jews. By what? By believing, by faith, by their repentance, and by their baptism. By the way, all this comes from the hearing of the word. Romans 10. So, a miraculous, miraculous event occurred here, right? No doubt. With the conversion of Cornelius. They received, the God, they received the Spirit immediately as Peter began to speak. But that was more to show Peter and the, his, his companions what this was all about. They were still taught to believe and be baptized in the same manner as the Jews. So, 
What can we glean from that? Well, you've probably heard that. Some of you may have heard it. Well, if they have the Spirit, they've got to be saved because God's not going to pour His Spirit out on someone who's not saved. Well, we do have a command in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for remission of sins so that we might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do we have that? But this was not the same example as that. This, as he refers back to John's baptism, where he said, I baptize you with water, but you will baptize the Holy Spirit. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to the record, only happened two times, right? They had Pentecost and this example with Cornelius. Both serving a purpose. Not necessarily to save anybody. You might try to glean that because, yeah, there's verses that talk about we have the, we have the Spirit. We know we're saved. We have assurance because we have the Spirit. But these were not those cases. These were done to show something that people needed to understand. First at Pentecost, what did the people need to know? That they had killed the Son of God, right? And they came from all over the world, so they needed to hear it in their own language, in their own voice. They needed to know that they had the ones that killed him, and they needed to repent. There was a purpose for it. And then here, Cornelius, Peter and his cohorts need to know that the gospel's for all, not just the Jews. So there was a purpose for it. It's two different things going on here. This is not the same as that gift of the Holy Spirit which you receive through baptism. I'll give you a couple other examples here of the Spirit falling on someone. Turn over to the book of Numbers. And let's read something real quick. Numbers chapter 24. <clears throat> and if you remember your Old Testament studies, you should remember Balaam, right? Balaam was a bad dude, enemy of God, right? Chapter 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, remember when he did this? He did, not go, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel camped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Hmm. Could that be the same Spirit that came upon Cornelius? Could that be the same Spirit that some would say, save Cornelius? What about Balaam? Balaam was a bad dude. He actually was able to prophesy to Israel because God poured his spirit out on him. Does that mean he was saved? Hmm. First Samuel, turn over there real quick. Chapter 19. And we're going to look at uh, something that King Saul was doing. Let's begin in verse 18. And this is when David is coming up, you know, kind of making his attempt at, I don't know, some might call it a coup. Uh, I don't know if you could call it that really, but verse 18, so David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him, and, he, and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is at Naoth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw a group of prophets prophesying 
And Samuel, standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they prophesied. Hmm. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he, then he himself also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also and went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? The Spirit was poured out on Saul and his messengers so they could prophesy. To the amazement of the people. Did that mean Saul was saved and his messengers were saved? We know Saul was appointed by God, right, to be king. But Saul kind of went astray, didn't he? I don't know if I could say he wasn't saved for sure. I know he did some bad stuff. But the Spirit was poured out on him for a special purpose here. Not to save him, but so they could prophesy interesting isn't it one more example turn over to John chapter 11 beginning in verse uh, 40 let's see let's begin in verse 45 then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So instead of worrying about the man who calls himself God, who's doing these wonderful miracles, they're more worried about their own power. What a bunch of idiots. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but by, by being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now, it doesn't say necessarily that the Spirit descended upon Caiaphas, but he was prophesying. Somehow he was prophesying that Jesus was going to die. Interesting, isn't it? You see, could it be that God sends his Spirit, can send his Spirit on someone for a special purpose? Not to save them, but to carry out his will. Could that be a possibility? Could that be a reason for this happening? So, just because someone says, well, Cornelius had the Spirit, he was, but he was saved. Not true. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Debbie says he, can, he did many signs and wonders, as we know, to confirm his word. That is true. That is true during that time. So, People knew who he was, except for these guys didn't get it. Right. But Caiaphas, the high priest, 
who had all the power, all of a sudden knew that Jesus was going to die. So it's interesting how God can do things for his own purposes that may not be what you think it is and may mean you need to study more of the Word, right? You need to look at some other things besides just one verse or just one passage. Cornelius was not saved by the Spirit, as some would say. In fact, I've heard someone come, I've had a discussion with someone before that said, well, every time you, every time you read uh, someone was baptized into Christ, that means he was Holy Spirit baptism. And every time you read where someone was baptized in the name of Jesus, that's water baptism. How you would know that, I have no idea. <laughs> but I've heard that. Yes, sir. That's true. Kurt said there was confusion because you didn't have the canon yet. You didn't have the full canon of Scripture. That was probably at least 100 years or more before we had all that. And you had the confusion of letters going around, spirit, miraculous gifts being uh, laid out on folks, which we don't have today. All those things are going on. And it's interesting to think about that because there were a certain mindset that people had about baptism back then that we don't have today necessarily. Right. And so... That was something a little different. Um, turn over to Acts chapter 15, and let's look at one more passage here real quick. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse, uh, let's go to verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, this is, this is a, they're talking about a conflict over whether Gentiles should be circumcised, okay? Which goes on and on and on. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Here it is again. Did he say he was saved because God sent a spirit on him? No. They heard the word and believed. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be saved in the same manner as they. Yes, sir.
<laughs> good point. Very good point. Bill, you didn't hear that over there. He was talking about when the donkey talked to Balaam or Balak, and he said, the Lord came upon him and says that. Does that mean the donkey was saved? Yeah, absolutely not. Peter recounts it right there in Acts 15. He says, they were saved in the same manner as we. And how were they saved? By hearing the word, believing, repenting, and being baptized. Not because they received the Spirit. It amazed Peter and his companions that they were receiving the Spirit the same as they had at Pentecost. But that's not what saved them. So if someone tells you that, tell them to read chapter 11. And then tell them to read chapter 6 where it says they were baptized with his death, raised to newness of life. And I'm going to tell you that every week because Romans 6 explains it very well. All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here.